Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. But I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of John in the New Testament, John chapter 6. And because you won't have scriptures on the screen, you're going to have to read your neighbor's Bible or pull out your phone and take notes and have that as well. (laughs) I do my very best to put the Word of God in a way that we can receive it whether we're young in the Lord or whether we are very mature in the Lord. I believe the Word of God, if preached or taught, there's something in it for you. And it doesn't matter if it's John 3:16, every service. If it's the Word of God, it is always going to be fresh. I didn't come this morning with a gimmick or a way to try to make you shout. I came with a word from the Lord. I believe that God wants you to grow. It is my objective as a pastor to teach you how to feed yourself. I'm going to say that again. To teach you how to feed yourself. It is wonderful that we can come in here, hear the word, and we need that because the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the word. The Bible says that God would even use the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. And so the preached word, the taught word, every prophetic utterance, etc., all of that is a word that God gives us to grow. But it's not just so that we can bottle it up and then say, well, that was a fresh word, that was a good word, that, that tickled my fancy, and that made me feel good. It is for our betterment, it is for our change, it is for our growth. And so I want to encourage you to be the disciple that God called you to be. Everyone say, I am a disciple who is making disciples. In the Bible, John chapter 6, the Lord began to speak to me and I want to give you this thought of my message if I can. Maybe brokenness is my miracle. Jot that down in your notes to have reference for it. Maybe brokenness is my miracle. I want to read out of John chapter 6 starting in verse one, a familiar passage that all of us have been around church for any length of time, maybe have read or heard, ministered to us, or we've just in our devotion come across it. But in John chapter six, starting in one, the Bible said that after these things, Jesus went over the sea of Galilee. Then it's interpreted that the true name and area and region is the sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him. Notice that they followed him after he went over. They followed him. That meant they were with him in the beginning. And because they wanted more of him, they followed him a little further. It's kind of like when the ice cream truck comes down your road and you hear the jingles and you start running to get your change. Come on, somebody. And then you come and you go and you follow them even if you've got to chase them down. Because you know you're going to have number eight, the screwball. You're going to have the strawberry eclair. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, I'll take you all back to childhood this morning. <laughs> and the Bible said that a great multitude followed him because why? They saw his signs which he performed on those 
who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may even have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? If you feel comfortable in underlining this in your Bible, I want you to notice the words that Andrew said when he said, there is a lad here. Underline that phrase. And then underline the fact that he describes the type of loaves. We all have our favorite bread. Amen? Amen? Some of us have, can eat bread without any problem. Some of us will go to a restaurant and eat 10 rolls before the food ever gets here. Honey glazed, dripping with butter. Somebody got a witness right there. And some of us who are not supposed to have so much sugar and so, so much bread look for bread alternatives and they usually are nasty. Have you ever tried to eat somebody's keto-friendly bread? And you're like, nasty, nasty. They say, well, it, you just have to get used to it. I don't care who introduces you to it. It takes a whole lot to get used to because it's just nasty. If I wanted to eat cardboard, I'd just eat my Amazon boxes. I want, ain't enough salt and butter to make it taste good. But underline barley loaves and then two small fish. For all the fishermen in the, in the room today, you would just be really encouraged. But he asked the question, what are they among so many? Help me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today that the Holy Spirit of God that lives in our hearts and our minds would bring to us a living word that would renew us to the place of understanding that you are an all-sufficient God that is more than enough. God, I believe that you have the sufficiency to meet every need that is present among us this morning. And I ask that you would give us the faith that we would believe that you are still in the business of pouring out blessings that we cannot contain. In Jesus' name we say amen, amen. and amen. Look over at your neighbor and say, maybe, maybe. The, breaking the breaking is your miracle. I read this out of John chapter six, a familiar scripture that I believe most of us have read this. Perhaps you're hearing it for the first time today and you are hearing this story. It's notated as one of the miracles that Jesus did. Uh, for anyone who's been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you've probably come across this passage, read this passage, had this taught to you as a child, but it is referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. 
And because of this notable miracle that are in all four Gospels, many times churches will take on a campaign called the feeding of the 5,000, which in other words is just saying we're going to do outreach. We're going to feed people. We're going to minister to people. But in the passage that you read, it's where God takes five loaves and two fishes and provides a buffet, if you will, for a multitude of people who have followed him. All of the Gospels, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of the Gospels share this story. All four of the Gospels declare that there were 5,000 men there. But some of the Gospels would go on to say that there was also women and children in addition to the 5,000 men. Of course, we know that there had to be women and children there because the Bible bears record in John 6 that we just read that it was the time near the Passover. And families were making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They were loading up their camels. They were loading up their donkeys. They were getting their hatchbacks ready. They were preparing for the journey to Jerusalem and they were coming from all regions to receive and to be at the Passover. Now, historians in the word of God of the Bible suggest that there were somewhere in that story 15 to 20,000 people actually represented, not just the 5,000 men, but 15 to 20,000 people. Now, I want you to put your mind around that. That would be, I'm not sure how many people Lucas Oil Stadium holds. I'm not sure how many people Gangbridge uh, uh, holds, but 15 to 20,000 people is a whole lot of Big Macs. It's a whole lot of mouths to feed. Now understand that the area that they are in is around the Sea of Galilee. If you took all the cities that were surrounding the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, History tells us that the civilization and the population probably equated to 40,000 people who lived around the entire Sea of Galilee, factoring in all the neighbors and the cities. But because it's the Passover, there's a lot of people that have traveled in. Amen. Just like come Memorial Weekend, there will be hundreds of thousands of people trying to pack in a racetrack two miles from us. They will destroy our path traffic pattern. <laughs> they will take over the city as if they own it. Come on. And we will have to abide. But if 40,000 people are in the vicinity, it's near Passover, and half of those are considered to be already have followed Jesus from one place to the next. Where he gets to his next place, he goes up on the mountain, brings his disciples, and by the time he looks up, the multitude has caught up with him again. Why? Because Jesus was a healer, and he healed their diseases. And if you know that he can heal your disease, you would do just about anything to get close enough to receive your miracle. I don't know who I'm preaching to today that hath need of a miracle in your body, in your soul, your family, your health, your ministry, your finances, whatever it is. 
but I tell you today that he has the touch you stand in need of. And if you knew he was here on a Wednesday, if you knew he was here on a Sunday, you know where you'd be? You'd be as close to him as you possibly could get. The disciples were with Jesus upon that mountain. The crowd is following him. They're coming for the Passover, but they're turning to the, find him because they hear that Jesus is there. And Jesus is moved with compassion when he sees the amount of people that are there. He, he saw them coming his way. And what does Jesus do? He begins teaching them. What does he do? He begins touching them. What does he do? He begins to pray for them. And it stayed going on and on and on until it was evening and it was late. And then Jesus does something that catches the disciples by surprise. He asks the question, where can we find bread that all these people may eat? I thought it was interesting because in the Gospel of John that we've read, he asked the question to only one disciple. He asked the question to a man by the name of Philip. Why did he ask Philip the question? Well, if you understand history and know pedigree and know ge geography, then you understand by scripture that Philip was from that region. He was from Bethsaida. We learn in Luke 9 and 10 that the area that they were gathered belonged to Bethsaida. In John chapter 12, the Bible said that Philip was from Bethsaida. So it's not out of the order for Jesus to ask the man who is from the area. Can you uh, tell me where they have the best tacos, Philip? Can you tell me where they have the best ribs in town, Philip? You're from here. Do you really know where they serve the best fish and chips? I'd like for you to fill me in on where we can feed this hungry crowd because you're from the hood. I mean the neighborhood. So I want you to tell me <laughs> where we gonna feed this amount of people. But the Bible says that Jesus asked Philip the question to test him. Don't you think that Jesus already knew the answer to the question that he would ask? He asked him the question to test him which teaches you and I don't ever get worried when Jesus asks you a question because he's really not looking for an answer. He asked the question to make you think. He asked the question to move you from one dimension to another dimension. He asked the question to get you outside of your natural response. He's all-knowing. He's already got the answer. How do you know he has the answer? Because he is the answer. And the Bible says in John 1 and 3, all things were made through him and without him. Nothing was made that was made. That means that Jesus, wants to, when he wants to bless somebody, he already knows where the blessing's coming from. When he wants to do something, he already knows how he's going to get it done. When Jesus asks you and I to be a part of it, he's sending us an invitation saying that if you have enough faith, I'll let you in on it. I'm sending you an invitation by asking you a question. Mamba, everybody say it's a test. And it really is a test. And he's asking Philip if he's willing to take the test. He's testing you to see if you'll apply what you have learned 
from his word. That's why I tell you that, that we try to teach people at Bethel how to self-feed. I'm thankful that you're here for worship experience. You're just merely obeying the word of God. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, even so much more as the evil day approaches. He said that we ought to come together even more. But we're in a day, this is not the time to lay out a church. This is the time to press in. I'll tell you that if my wife was sick, I wouldn't just always be at home with her. I would be at home with her and then I'd go to church and represent her and stand in prayer for her and believe God. Somebody in the house, somebody in the house has enough of tenacity. Ooh, ain't nobody gonna preach with me. I mean, it's a shame when the whole family has to stay home to blow somebody's nose. He just testing you to see is after you say you've been going to church for 10 years if what you've learned really works and did you really learn it from his word. He wants to know if you understand where all your blessings come from because every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord, hallelujah. He's trying to find out from Brother Philip, have you understood the supernatural power of the kingdom that you have been a part of as you have walked with me? Are you going to continue to rely on your own natural strength and your own natural intellect? It's a test. Jesus gives the answers to the test. He gave it to us in the book of Mark when he said these words, have faith in God. There are things that you don't know how to answer, but you have to have faith in God. There are things that people ask that I don't know the answer to, but I have to have faith in God. Your children will ask you hard questions about who is God and where do babies come from? And you're going to have to say, have faith in God. Come on, somebody. Oh, let me just laugh here. You're going to have to say, have faith in God. Somebody say that with me. Have faith in in God. All things are possible to those who believe and when Jesus said have faith in him, he is teaching us how to pass the test and so he gives a question to brother Philip, how are we going to feed this many people? He is asking a question that he already knows the answer to but he's testing brother Philip and Philip hears the question. It's not a natural question, it is a spiritual question but he thinks it's a natural question. If he answers supernaturally then he proves to Jesus that knowing the, his life and knowing how to walk with Jesus has put him above his circumstances but if he responds with the natural I don't know what we're going to do if he responds with a natural response then it proves that he has not listened or taken notes or journaled no Ooh, it's quiet in here it says that he just reverts back to his old self which means he's going to continue to live under his circumstances instead Instead of over his circumstances, as long as you live life with your natural mind, you are always going to live under your circumstances. But when you start to live in the supernatural power of God and the wisdom of Jesus Christ, then suddenly you understand the scripture that said he would make me the head and not the tail. He would make me above and not beneath. And I don't even need an amen for me to believe it. I know that I know that God is able to keep that 
that which I have committed to him against that day. At some point in your learning, at some point in your living for God, you just have to have enough tenacity, enough power to pick your own self up by the bootstrap and say, I don't care if anybody else makes it. I'm making it. I'm not going to hell for nobody. I'm not backsliding for nobody. I'm not going to go down. I'm going up. I have already determined in my mind, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I will respond to them a supernatural response. I will not respond with fear. I will not say, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to have a nervous breakdown. No, I'm going to say, as the Lord doth live, I have power and might. I serve the one who walks out on nothing and makes something come. I serve one who is greater than my problem. Look at your neighbor and say, God is greater. He is a supernatural God. If all you think is the natural reasoning, then you will never produce a supernatural outcome. Jesus asked Philip, where can we find bread? Then in verse 7, keep your Bible open there. John chapter 6, Philip says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for every one of them just to even have a little. If you will allow me to paraphrase some, in John 6, the conversations just between Jesus and Philip, but when you read all the other Gospels, the Matthew, the Mark, and the Luke, he addresses the 12 disciples or they were involved in the conversation. In Mark 6, it says that his disciples came to him and they said very politely, Lord, send them away. <laughs> and I thought as I read that, isn't that just like some churches? We don't have time for these kids. All they do is mark the halls with scuffs and tear up the carpet and pews. We don't have room for these children. We don't have room for these vagrants. We don't have room for these people who live with addictions. Ooh, it's quiet in here now. Lord, send them away. Because if we have to deal with them, it's coming out of our pocketbook and you know we're trying to get to Ponderosa before the Baptists. So send them away. Come on, smile at me. Smile at me. Send your emails to Pastor Wayne. He'll receive them in Jesus' name. Send them away. Just about the time that new people start to show up, some people say, send them away. I'll never forget when we started in 24 years ago in Bethel Family Worship Center on South High School Road that there were people of color that started showing up at the church. And I remember at that time, I've told the story, but sometimes the Lord says repeat it because you need to tack the carpet down while you're here. And I remember when God started blessing our church with nationality and culture and color See, we don't look at one another and say, I don't see color, because that's a lie. How can you not look at one another and not see color? We look at color and celebrate it. We celebrate the diversity among us. We celebrate the uniqueness of our house. But everyone's not saved. <laughs> I remember a man coming to me and telling me that he thought that 
People should worship with their own kind on Sunday morning, which let me know right away I was dealing with demonic activity. A man that says he's saved but cannot see people for who God made them to be is not a man that I'm going to heaven with because my Bible said that from every tribe and every nation we shall rise to meet the Lord. And it's not going to be a black heaven, a white heaven, a Hispanic heaven, a, a, a Polish heaven. Can I get a smile from somebody? They're not going to be any type of that. There's going to be one place, hallelujah, where we're going to gather under the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ and declare that he is Lord of all. Hey, can I encourage somebody and tell you that God has put us in a place where we don't just say, send them away. I don't have time for these people. A lot of times we say that because we don't know how to deal with people because we are afraid of what we don't know and we haven't learned to know. Oh, it's quiet in here. Send them away. And then they said it so kindly so that they may go buy food for themselves. But in Mark chapter 6, Jesus looked back at the disciples and he said, you feed them. Me? I didn't make enough of my check. I don't even tithe myself. I mean, you know I had to go see that new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. How am I going to feed them too? Jesus said, you feed them. And all 12 of them were pointing at the natural problem and they were trying to provide a natural solution because that's how natural people think. You know your crowd. You know who you're dealing with. When you talk with people and they start reasoning in the natural, you can't get them a supernatural response. You gotta break free from that to have a supernatural outcome. He said, you feed them. They said, well, we can't do it because in John 6, Philip gives a number, says 200 denarii, that's six months' wages, by the way. He said, that's half a year's worth of what money? We, don't, we can't afford to do this. But how do you know that all the disciples were involved in John 6? Because you have to understand that Philip was not the guy who was the accountant of the group. Philip did not hold the money bag. The person who was on Jesus' team who held the money was Judas. And so Philip had to find out from somebody how much money do we have in the till, I mean in the bag. How much money have we accumulated? That's why I tell you that Jesus was not poor. He had an accountant on the team. And they were ministering to people. My, 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 my. Think about all the people that blessed the ministry of the Lord. The Bible says that even upon his crucifixion, they gambled for his garments. You don't gamble for cheap clothing. And so Philip has to go to Judas and say, I just talked to the boss and he said that we're going to do some kind of banquet and feed all these people. How much money we got? And Judas is the one who gives him the dollar amount. And Philip runs back and said, Jesus, I don't think we're going to be able to do it this year. Maybe in next year's budget. But you know, we got a garage to build. Come on, somebody. We got all this going on. And the problem is that Philip is answering the wrong question. Because Jesus isn't asking about money. Jesus is asking about bread. Oh, hey, hey. Philip is the one talking about the money. Jesus wasn't talking about money. He was talking about bread. His, he's thinking in the supernatural. 
Philip is thinking in the natural. How are we going to do this? I don't know how we're going to do this. And how often has God tried to involve us and participate in his supernatural outpouring and immediately we discount ourselves because we start going in the natural and saying, I don't know how we can do it. I just don't know what God's going to do. And the Lord is saying, I'm inviting you to be a part of my blessing and my miracle because I want you to understand that God is saying, I'm going to show you how to get it done, but you've got to believe by faith and trust me when I invite you in on my plan of prosperity. And suddenly we come back to God with a natural answer when he has given us a supernatural invitation and we say things, well, you know, God, I'm just sorry. I I would, but I just don't get any free time this week. Um, I'm just all booked up. I mean, between my work and my kids and my sports tournaments that take me out of church every weekend, I just don't have time to be there. And there's just not a lot of time right now in my schedule to get involved. Until you get your natural responses out of the way of why it can't be done, you're never going to see the supernatural power of God show up in your home and show up in your life because God's trying to paint a picture of faith and invite you to come in and say, watch me work. And he invites us to do it and we respond with our, well, I, I, I. In John 6, this is why I chose this chapter and this book because he is the only writer of the four gospels that tells us where the food came from. I don't know about you, but I won't know where my food came from. I mean, if they offer him fish and chips down at the garage, I want to know where that fish came from. Please tell me you did not catch this in the White River. Please tell me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It looked like chicken. It looked like it. And when you bit into it, it said meow. Anyhow, I want to know where my, I don't eat everybody's food either. Come on now. If you posting pictures of nine cats in your kitchen, I ain't eating your food. Spirit of a hairball. I ain't eating it. I'm not against cats. Email Pastor Wayne. He'll take care of it. John's the only writer that tells us where the food came from. And where did it come from? Look at verse 9. Andrew speaks up and says, There is a lad. Say that with me. There is a lad. In every other gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, The boy is left out. He's not mentioned. And I thought, wonder why in those three gospels, the the lad's not mentioned. And then it kind of, in my own Russell theology, I thought, well, maybe it's because the disciples were fighting over who was going to be the one to get credit on where they found the lunch. So let's not leave. Let's not give credit where credit's due. We're going to quote it on Facebook as if we made it up. I mean... But John said, there is a lad. And it's not even, I mean, and, and, and it was Andrew who's the one that said it. And the thing about Andrew is you don't hear a lot about Andrew. 
He's one of them disciples. He's a minor disciple. <laughs> he, he's somebody that cleans the toilets and stacks chairs but has a heavy anointing. Everybody reaching for the mic. He's introducing lunches. And he says he has five barley loaves and two small fish. It was Andrew that told them. He has five, what? Barley loaves and two small fish. Now for all the fishers in the room, that'd be like saying he had two bluegill. They're not real big and meaty, but they are tasty. But he had five barley loaves and two small fish. Now I want you to get this picture in your mind because there's a lot of commotion happening right there. The Passover's here. People are traveling, trying to get hotel rooms. People are hungry. Thousands of people have come. And if you follow the geography where Jesus is outside of the Sea of Galilee, they are about nine miles away from Philip's upbringing, Bethsaida. And in all that noise and in all that chaos, there's one child, one 317 student, one Kid City student, come on. One child who's walking with that crowd who has to push his way through all that is being talked about, all the negative, I'm hungry, I know how what we're gonna eat. Hush that baby up. Hush this up. I don't know who she thinks she is. All that noise, all that drama, that one child, that one young lad has to walk all that way through that noise mm, just to get close enough to Jesus so that he can hear what the master wants. Are you with me? My question is, how close are you to Jesus? How close are you walking to Jesus? Are you close enough that you can hear what he is asking for? Are you close enough that you can hear what the master has need of or has the crowd around you and the distractions in the politics of this world keeping you from pressing in and receiving from the Lord? You see, in a multitude of people, there's a lot of folks who want something from Jesus. They all come for a miracle. They all want something from the man. But it's only those people who are close enough to Jesus that know what he wants you to do, that knows what he is saying that he wants you to do. And I ask the question, are you willing to push through the opinions and the noise of other people in the year of 2023 so you can get close to him? Are you willing to push down social media and the news stations and all that mess out there so that you can get close enough to Jesus to hear what Jesus would say unto you in your house when you have people in your own family who say you spend too much time down there at that church all that serving all that giving all that attending are you willing to mute the noise of people and say I've got to get close to him I've got to be near him I'm willing to go out of my way just to get close to Jesus am I preaching to somebody you had to fight your way to get here this morning but I'm telling you you're going to live in supernatural experience and expansion because you push past the noise of people and I promise you there is someone in your family right now all they do is complain 
Look over your neighbor and down your row and say, I'm glad you made it to this one. Some of you are afraid to. The lad walked an estimated nine miles so that he could be close to Jesus. The lad. And some people won't drive across the street when it rains. But I want to ask you, are you willing to get close enough to him even if nobody will go with you? Andrew did not say, well, the boy and his parents are here. Andrew did not say, well, his aunt and uncle's here raising him. He just said, there's a lad here. For all we know, Darius, he was by himself. How many people come to church and no one in their family will join them? Not a father, not a mother, not a brother, and not a sister. But are you willing to say, I have decided I will follow Jesus. Though none go with me, I will follow. Though none serve him, I will follow. There's got to be something in you that says, even if my spouse won't go to church, they're not gonna keep me from going to the house of God. There's something in you that says, even if my children all backslide, I'm not going to hell for nobody. Even if the preacher backslides, I'm not going to hell for him. I'm going on with Jesus, and I'm gonna make the way straight and keep running the race. I go if I gotta go by myself. Excuse me. I see this lad walk up to the disciples and Jesus asks, where can we find bread? And he said, I know it's not much, but I got some bread. And I don't know how far it'll go, Jesus, but everything I have, you can have it. You know what real success is? Success is finding out what God wants to do and then doing that. Not doing your plan, not doing your five-year strategy. And it's not easy when God puts the demand on you to follow him. It's not easy when you hear God speak what he wants you to do. But the only way you'll ever know what he wants you to do is you have to be in proximity and closeness to him. And the Bible says that a nine-mile nine journey was taken by a lad just to get close enough to hear what Jesus was asking for. He wasn't there just to get something from him. He was there and he had something to offer. Josiah, don't you ever let anybody tell you you're too young to do something big for God. You keep on doing it for the Lord. How do I know that this was a miracle? The reason I could say in one way is you know it was a miracle because ain't no boy going to give up his lunch. And if somebody is willing to give up their lunch, you know God is moving. Because when we're hungry, we're hateful. He gave up his lunch. Some of you, your stomach's growling. Our team that works both services, by right now, you've already been dreaming and you've been on DoorDash and you've got it, I mean, you've got it delivered to the side room before you come back for the altar call. I mean, you're ready. <laughs> oh, that was me, excuse me. That was me. 
I'm almost done. I'm almost done. He's willing to give up his lunch, but I want you to see something here. He gives five barley loaves. You have to study down on this because five barley loaves is what you call poor man's bread. Barley's not what you make bread out of. We could talk about that old keto bread that's nasty. Now, if you find a good one, buy me a loaf, but I'll let you know. But barley is not what you make bread out of. You make bread out of wheat. Then you take that wheat and you grind it down to flour. And that's where you produce good bread. Barley is a grain, though. In the Old Testament, the owners of fields knew by law that you could not harvest the corners of your own property because the law said you have to leave the corners for the poor and the widow. See, God had a plan. And the poor and the widow would go to the corners of the field and get what they needed. I think they had something better than what we have. They had work fair, not welfare. Let that sit. They had work fair, not welfare. Let me say it down here behind this shield. They had work fair, not welfare. That went over real good. Andrew says, listen, he says, we have five loaves of poor bread. And nobody wants that barley, barley bread. It don't taste like that wheat bread. And nobody, now, I would say, no, nobody wants that government cheese, but we know that tastes good. <laughs> have you ever had a grilled cheese sandwich on some poor cheese? Oh, come on. I got to get out of that. That's, let's get out of that. <laughs> Andrew says, all we got is this poor bread and these two fish that are tiny. Because the Bible said they were small fish. It's not one of them fish that you hold up by your thumb so everybody can see you on Instagram. <laughs> you know what I'm talking People turn into a different person. He's holding up five barley loaves that are considered to be poor people's bread and two small fish that are not very much. And Jesus takes this little sack lunch of five barley loaves and two fish and he gives the command. And what I'm going to say next is hard to hear, but I've already disclaimered it. He said, have the people sit down. John 6 and 10 says at the latter half of the verse, so the men sat down. No words are ever lost in scripture. You will find a nugget of truth in all of it. Why was it important that he said, have the men sit down? To estimate how many people were there 
they would have needed at least six acres of land in order to accommodate the 15 to the 20,000 people to sit down. And he said, sit down. I don't know if you've been like me at times. I've wanted to look at people and say, Now, I'm not going to ask you to do that in this crowd because we're all charged up and hungry. <laughs> but Jesus said, sit down. Sometimes you need somebody in your life to look at you and say, sit down. Sit down. Why? Because he understood the order of things. Who was going to distribute all this food that was being multiplied? And if you'll allow me, it would be the men who represented the heads of their homes who would then feed their wives and their children. Men have to learn how to break their pride and sit their hind end down in the presence of God. Yeah, that's a hard word, but I'm preaching to myself How's your family supposed to be blessed? Because the Bible said that Christ is the head of the church. And then it says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5 that husbands are to love their wives and give their self to their families just as Christ gave himself to the church. But preceding that, Jesus said, so, off, so should wives submit to their own husband. Christ is the head of the church the husband is the head of the wife, and then the wife and husband love each other mutually, and it is the beautiful picture of exchange of where we give ourselves one to another. And that's gonna rub some people the wrong way based on your upbringing or your experience, but I'm not preaching from Oprah or from Dr. Phil. I'm preaching from this word. And I will say this, even though it's not Father's Day, men, until you are seated in the proper position underneath the authority of Jesus Christ, your wife and children cannot receive the miracle he wants to provide. God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, let everything be done in decency and in order order. And if you go to a church that's confusing and you go to these meetings that's chaotic and there's confusion, God is not the author of confusion. It is not of him. It is not of him. If you go to a place where kids are running helter skelter and people are doing anything they want to do, can't nobody, I mean, it's so it's, it is a hee haw good time and it's just so out of order. Then God is not in that. I know it's quiet in here, but I, I just felt like I had to say that because in order for your family to receive supernatural provision and blessing, you got to sit down under him and then minister to your family in order. The first ministry that God called me to is not Bethel Family Worship Center. It is to my house and my children. What good is it if I help get your children saved and my own children live like hell? If God says be seated and sit down, then make sure your family sits with you. 
If God says keep my commandments, then make sure you teach your children how to keep his commandments. If God says hide my word in your heart, make sure you teach your children how to hide his word in their heart. This is how we walk in blessing. So as they come, I will say this. He takes the five loaves and the two fishes and he tells them, sit down. <laughs> well, he didn't say it like that, but that's what I felt like saying. And I know some of you, I said it for you. But why does he tell them to sit down? Here's another way to look at this and write this down. He wanted them to be in a position to receive. I need you to sit down so you can be in a position to receive because that's where multiplication will occur. And the Bible says very clearly in John 6 and 11 that when Jesus had given thanks, well, what did he give thanks for? Poor bread and small fish? Exactly. He was thankful for what was not enough. This is what I hear the Holy Ghost saying to Bethel and to every family here. Until you can be thankful for what's not enough, you'll not be thankful for what's more than enough. He said, be thankful in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God concerning your life in Christ Jesus. So I'm thankful in all things. I'm thankful that in six years ago, God brought me through cancer. I praise him through that season because he's still a healer. Even if I have a need in my life, he's still a provider. Hallelujah. I can be thankful in any moment of life that I encounter because I know that he's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that I can ask or think. I say that because Jesus took what was not enough and gave thanks to the Lord for it and broke it. But he didn't break it until he blessed it. And you have to remember this, some of the most blessed things in your life are gonna come out of the most broken things of your life. I have pray for people all the time that want a blessing. If I ask you to raise your hand, who wants a blessing? It'd be like Arnold Horshack in here. Oh, oh, oh. All of you that are in your 50s know what I'm talking about. Pick me, pick me, I want the blessing. But do you understand this? The very moment that you ask God to bless stuff in your life is the very moment that he breaks it. So be careful what you're asking God to bless because I promise you in the blessing will come a breaking. I want him to bless this. Then watch him break it for you. Well, I didn't want that. He blessed it, then he broke it. And then he multiplied it. Why does God do that? Because he knows that if he blesses what you have control over, you will take all the credit for it. So he has to break it in order to multiply. You say, well, look at how we put our marriage back in. No, he broke it so he could multiply it. Look at my business, how blessed I am. He broke it so he could multiply it. Are you with me? So don't ask for the blessing if you don't expect the breaking. He took the five loaves and the two fish and he broke it. 
and then it began to multiply so fast that it got distributed amongst the men and they fed their families on that pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And this is what the Lord began to tell, show me. They ate till they were full. The Bible didn't say that they had a piece of this and a piece of that and a take-home container. The Bible said they ate till they were full. And I prayed and said, God, would it be that the people of Bethel Family Worship Center would come to a place where we would leave this house saying, I'm so full of the word of God. I am so full of the blessings of the Lord. I'm just so full I could just burst with the blessings of God. That's what I've prayed and asked God to do in this house, that we would just remain full of him. And so I would ask you to stand to your feet today. Maybe God's trying to break something in your life so that he can bless it and multiply it. That was the reason for the text. Maybe the breaking is my blessing. Maybe God's trying to break something in me so that he can bless me and give me a miracle. Maybe he's after something that if I will surrender it to him and follow close enough to hear him, he'll take what little thing that I have and he'll use it for his glory. And I'm gonna ask those of you that are here under the sound of my voice, those of you that are watching, what is it that's in your hand right now that God wants from you? Is it your agenda? Is it your schedule? Is it your family? Is it your business? Is it your recreation time? What is it that God wants, your hobby? That if you'll just give it to God and allow Him to have everything, He'll bless it, break it, and then multiply it in your life. And I heard the Lord issue this word to this house and I knew God was speaking if all you have is five loaves of poor barley bread and two small fish that you would say God it's all of God but it's all yours I've given it to you right here and now right where you're standing the Holy Spirit is asking you to give it to him God's asking you to give it to him. Come on and give it to God. Whatever he is speaking to you, if he's bringing something to your mind, I want you to surrender that to the Lord right now. You don't have to go public, but you can say it right in your heart. God, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving it to you. While we're praying, I'm going to ask our prayer teams, pastors and elders and leaders and prayer ministers to join me in this front. I believe that today God wants to break some things to multiply them in your life. Miracles are happening. We sung about it and we prophesied about it that this is the year of the all in wonder that God is producing miracles among us. Oh, I sense his power here. I sense his anointing here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's some things that God's shifting and breaking in your life. And I'm going to ask if you're here today that you would slip out of your seat and come forward and allow the Holy Spirit to do that work that He wants to do. You say, I need God to multiply a miracle in my life and I'm trusting Him to do it. 
I'm asking God to do it. Come on and begin to come to forward in faith. Trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. We trust in you, Jesus, for my career. I trust in you for my business. I trust in you for education and for my children's programs. I trust in you for my marriage. I trust in you for my relationships. I trust in you for the ministry that I know you are pulling me into. In the direction of my heart, I trust in you. I trust in you to raise these grandbabies. I trust in you to raise my children. I trust that I would hear you, God, that I would position myself in order and in proper alignment that I may receive a miracle in my house. wants to break it so he can bless it. God wants to break it so he can bless it. Come on. Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 